Hey, this is Mike Norris of Mike Norris Damascus, and you're listening to the Bladeology Podcast. jump into it like we do every week. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology podcast. We are on this week with episode 45. The turning point is here and, and we have we've made it in one piece. This is the vocal representation of Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. Elijah Isham of Isham Blade Works. Awesome. And we are on this week with a guest. We have Brad Zinker on. Brad, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely, man. Thanks thanks for taking time and coming on to talk knives and and get into the nitty-gritty with us, man. Um this is this is going to be fun. So without uh without any pause in the effect, let's let's get into it. How did how did we get here? How did how did you get into knife making? Tell us. Well, just always loved knives. Uh, my dad was a farmer. He always carried a pocket knife, usually a fruit knife. He was a tomato farmer, and I guess that's what got me in the long and skinny slim knife. So, hmm. just always, always had a knife around. He let me carry one when I was old enough. I don't remember exactly when. Nice. Oh. Always had them through Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. Oh, there you go. All right, the Scouts are always, that's always fun. Yeah, we learned a lot about them back then, and my Boy Scout master was a cool guy. He just fresh back from Vietnam. Oh, wow. And he, he carried a Randall knife over there, and he always had it on every camping trip here and did everything with it. So that was my first taste of a custom knife damn i mean that's that's the one to have though right a randall jeez it's pretty serious to be carrying a vietnam yeah that's that's no joke at all so you see so you were you were introduced to to knives at a, at a young age in a in a practical manner in the scouts exactly nice okay so um and you said your your dad was a fruit farmer yeah a tomato farmer tomatoes okay so you you must have uh, there must be some farming in the background there. Yeah, my grandfather farmed for the same company my dad worked for, and uh, unfortunately they went out of business before I was old enough to get into it. Otherwise, I'd probably be a farmer too. There you go. See, and um, and where in the world was that exactly? Homestead, Florida. Oh shoot! All the way at the south end. Okay. All right. So you're you're still in Florida now. I am. Uh, two years ago, I moved to North Florida, to Tallahassee, get up here close to the kids and grandkids. Retired from my job I had, uh, 32 years of selling industrial hardware for a little family-owned business there in Homestead, and moved from 500 miles from one end of the state to the other. Oh, jeez. Industrial, okay, tell us a little bit about that, industrial hardware. Uh, it was a, uh, the company I went to work for was a 
friend of mine owned it and his dad started it after World War II, I think 1947. And did eventually change from a mom and pop type hardware store into, especially when they started building the nuclear power plant down there near Homestead, that's when it changed into an industrial supply house, kind of. And I was the outside salesman for them for 32 years and probably the best job of the company. Got to go around and visit customers and see what they needed and sell a few knives on the side. There you go. So now when you say industrial hardware, I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking bolts. I'm thinking like uh, the the Big- aisle of tractor supply. What am I am I? Am I close? Uh, yeah, close. It's a uh, big bolts, chain, rust-oleum paint, stuff like that. Okay. All right. Right. So industrial solutions. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yes, sir. And um, now you're saying you were doing that and and selling knives on the side. So how did how did we get from from the scouts to to making? How how was that evolution? Well. Uh, collected knives the company i wound up working for all that long they were case knife dealers and i'd go in there before i went to work for them forever and would buy a knife every now and then and the my boss i wound up working for his father when he was still there and working he would give all the good customers a case knife every christmas for a penny and, you know, you'd walk in the door and he'd say, have you got a penny on you? And you'd pull one out and he'd hand you a, a nice little one, two or three bladed case pocket knife. Mm. Got a box full of them in the safe. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. So I just wanted to touch on, on something real quick before we move forward. The the penny for the knife thing I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, but just to just to clarify. Um, so there there is a little bit of superstition involved. In, in that and I'm, I'm i'm sure that you must must know why i have a little well, experience with that myself <laughs> yeah it was explained to me shows. that you don't want to cut ties with somebody and I, I was never a believer in that i've given away a bunch of knives in my life but uh and haven't cut any ties that i know of there you go but uh but he was a stickler about it if you didn't have a penny uh <laughs> you had to go out in the truck and get one and bring it in you got to find a penny. I mean, come on, a penny is right. It's in the cup holder. It's under the seat. It's it's. You've, everybody's got one somewhere. It's on the probably. ground floorboard is everywhere. Yeah, there you go. See, so okay, so it started with case knives, which is a, an excellent place to start. I mean, those are uh, the classic American trapper, right? The the pick bone. Oh yeah, those are. I I still have a total soft spot for those. Well, that was a knife I started carrying when I was carrying knives was the case trapper two-bladed trapper and then when they came out with the slimline single blade i fell in love with that one carried that one for years and years went off to college in the early 70s and met a guy that worked at a local gun store here in tallahassee that was a knife maker named jack belk and he's a first guy I actually met that actually I, I could actually see stuff that he made and when I uh, graduated in 76 I decided I was going to spring the money and buy myself a graduation gift of a custom knife well of course you know he had none available 
And I told a friend of mine about it, and somehow he finagled one out of this guy, and I paid $75 for this little three-inch stag handle skinning knife and just fell in love with it. Sit full custom? It. Oh, yeah, full custom. I'd sit there and pull it out and look at it, and every time I went hunting or fishing, it was on my side and just got me hooked right there. I said, you know, I need to make something like this. You know, that uh, that stag handle on, on just the right fixed blade, there's something about it. Like, it's uh, even if you're not a huge fan of stag, I feel like most... Most people, there's like a very primitive connection between seeing stag on a knife that just seems right. Like it seems like the ultimate way that a tool should be dressed. I agree. It's probably my favorite handle material is stag. Every one you do is different. I don't, you know, even out of the same horn, I bought whole horns from sandbar stag deer. And when you cut them up, one side to the other looks different. The way you do it, it's kind of modern meets, you know, old school with your, uh, what is it, the silverfish model? No, uh, the Urban Trapper. One of them. I remember you did a stag on it, and it looks good. It's just the way yeah. you do it. It's yeah. like modern meets old school. Yeah, well, that's that's what I like. I always like that Trapper blade pattern, and when I started making custom folding knives, I that was one of the first styles I made. There you go. So you, so you got a you got a fixed blade and it was stag handled and it was on your side the whole time and it was that was your first custom knife purchase which is pretty yep. awesome. Solid solid purchase. Yep. Um what was the next step from there? Oh, went back to homestead, went to work with my dad was in he had quit farming at that time. Company he was working for went out of business and he hooked up with a friend of his that had a fire extinguisher company and he bought half into that and that happened actually while I was going away to college or right before and uh, I'd come home on break or in summer and work with him and learn how to do fire extinguishers and fire systems and I one of my clients was a machine shop and there was a uh, older machinist there i wish i could remember his name i can see his face right now but i can't remember his name and we would always talk knives and one day i went by to see him and he uh handed me a chunk of d2 and two slabs of micarta and said here here's the makings of a knife go knock yourself out and that was probably around 1982 or so when that happened Oh, wow. And I didn't have any equipment. All I had was a bench grinder, a six-inch bench grinder, and I tried grinding on it with that, and, boy, it was just chattering all over the place. And I think I saved up some money and went and bought a 1x42 Dayton little belt sander with a nine-inch disc on the side. And I made that first knife of mine off of that machine. It took me a year and a half off and on working on that thing and when I got done I had a knife and it was looked like a knife it would cut but it sure wasn't very pretty <laughs> a crude instrument yeah yeah I still have it I kept it 
I have to pull it out of the safe every now and then to remind me where I came from. After that, that, that really got me hooked on making knives, and I met a guy locally that it was a local gunsmith. Uh, he'd made a few knives. He had a baiter grinder, and he let me use his grinder to grind a few knives, and that told me I needed to, to have a grinder. And back then, baiter was either baiter or square wheel were the only grinders that were around that I knew of. I think Burr King was there, but nobody could afford them. That was the Holy Grail. So, so I made, made, I think, four or five knives using his equipment, and my buddy started buying them, and I had another real good friend that loaned me the money to uh, buy my first grinder, buy my baiter, and he took it out in knives. Oh, nice. Okay. That's pretty good payback. He buys you the tool to, to make the tools. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's probably my single best customer to this day. I mean, oh, he, wow. so he just always gets knives from me and he gifts 99% of them. Hmm. So wow. good customer to have. Yeah. That's, that's awesome that, um, that connection is, has seen many moons. That's, that's very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's weird to, or it's just, it's not weird at all, but it's, it's uh it's a good reference to to bring up that right there at, at a time there weren't you didn't just you know open up a catalog and choose which grinder you wanted there was just only a few choices like that that was it those were the a or b yeah and, and supplies were an issue back then too i mean who unless you knew a little bit about it uh, i wouldn't have known to get d2 for a steel to to try and and wouldn't know that McCarter would make a good handle and you know without some some help from somebody that's done it before because you know there was none of these no internet not all these knife suppliers that are everywhere nowadays yeah now it's like um i mean literally it's like the information superhighway when it comes to knife making um there's too much out there to even choose now right. yeah now oh, you have to, really yeah. Pretty much mm. to choose who you want to, yeah, exactly. Were you going to any shows back then, or no? Like any like small not, trade shows at all? Not then. I mean, I was I was into guns then too, and uh, my, some buddies it was and always I a would, crossover. Yeah. Would would go to gun shows, and you know, we'd go and buy and sell and pick up a knife here and there, but no no strictly knife shows. I think the first strict knife show i did they had a little one in miami probably in the late 90s and i can i can see it probably about 30 or 40 tables and met some people there i think brian ty was there and uh, a guy named jack davenport out of florida he was a, a pretty serious folder maker and i learned a quite a bit from him at the beginning you know on how to lay out a folder so that was that was my first memory of a show i actually actually went to and had a table at around when was this uh probably 95 96 somewhere around there mid to late 90s the, the golden age of uh 
Florida knife making with springs attached to the interior portion. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you right. Homestead, that's like, yeah, it's the spot. Yeah, we're, we're just uh, outside of Miami, you know, 30, 40 minute ride. You could be in Miami. And during that time, the Knife Makers Guild had all their shows in Orlando. So I started going up there and I went up there a couple of years about that time. And, you know, they were having 300 table shows up there. And I mean, you walk into that and you're, my eyes were just big the whole weekend. Seeing all the, all the famous knife makers and all the different kinds of knives. And I think I decided that I, at that time I wanted to, to join the knife makers guild. So I went through the, carried my knives up there and got some guys to sign off on them. And of course there was a waiting list then. And the first time, first show I got to go, uh, display at was in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. So that was probably in 98, I believe was that first show. Oh, so you've been going to Las Vegas for a while. Well, I, I did that first show there. And then I didn't go back until they started having the gathering. Oh, okay. All right. So, so hmm. I, they had like two shows in Vegas, the, the Guild did, and I caught the second one. And then we were at two years in New Orleans and somewhere else. And then it moved back to Orlando, and we were there for quite a while till it started moving again. So, I mean, it made me get out in the world and travel. I'd never been to around the places like Las Vegas and all that until I started making knives. So. Hmm. That's a good reason to get out and do some traveling. I, I, I've always liked the idea of, of a show that, that moves, you know, I mean, I, I usually move with the shows, but it would be cool to have a show that like constantly was in a different place. I feel like it exposes customers and makers to different people, different parts of the country. It is, but it's also on the other side, the people that put on the shows, it's a big nightmare, you know, getting, getting the venue and making all the deals for that to happen. I suppose that's true. Yeah. And nowadays there's too many shows. Right. I mean, until the, until the virus hit, there were too many shows. Yeah. And then none. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Way too many to none. Yeah. Hmm. So okay, so you went to you went to Vegas, and how was? Tell us about that that first Vegas show. How how was it back then? Uh, well, I didn't know what to to gauge it on, other than the Orlando Guild shows, and it was you know real glitzy like Vegas is and was, especially in those days. And uh, one of the first guys I met there waiting to go into the Guild room was Les Adams, who you just had on a oh, couple yeah. of couple of times ago and that you know the funny thing is we're both from the same county in florida he was lived in the north end i lived in the south end and we met out in las vegas that's awesome and we've been friends ever since oh man so that's a pretty chance encounter to travel all the way to las vegas and to meet somebody be like hey where are you from like no kidding like i'm in the same place i know that's it kind of happened to me at Blade Show when I met the dude from uh, the, what is it, the belt company that's like 10 miles up the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you're like, wait, hold on. 
that's that's my neck of the woods. I'm from there. Like I'm also from it there. Happens. It, it happens. It it does. The, the world continues to get smaller. So '90s uh, glitzy Vegas, and then you you run into you run into less Adams. Oh boy. Um, what we it, you guys you weren't sharing a table, right? No, no, not at all. In fact, you know, I think it was his second show, and uh, it was my first one. So we kind of neither. I really didn't know where to go or what to do, and he kind of kind of pointed out, you know, okay, go over here and see this guy, and do this and do that, and and kind of kind of straightened me out in the the ways of the world that back then. That's good. Guy on the inside. That's what everybody needs. Oh yeah, always helps. So at this point, were you making folders or you were still messing around with fixed blades? No, strictly fixed blades back then. And the first couple of shows I went to, guild shows, and we had a little Florida show that started about the same time, Florida Knife Makers Association, a little one-day show they'd have in Orlando. It started there for the first couple of years. And I'd, I'd go to these shows with a, you know, 15 or 20 fixed blades and the thing I remember about going to Vegas the first time I was nervous about traveling with them so I shipped them out there well you know of course you know you got to pay for the shipping you got to pay for the insurance you worry about them the whole way out there and then you go out there and you only sell one or two so you got to insure them and ship them all the way back you got all that expense you worry about them getting back home and there were guys around me that would walk in there with a little satchel and they'd have 10 or 12 folded knives in this little thing they carried under their arm and they'd lay it down on the table and said, man, one of these days I want to be him. <laughs> just practical. Yeah, I just, I want to get to that point where I don't have to, you know, carry a box or two of fixed blades with sheaths and all that stuff. And so that's what got me into making folders and something i always wanted to do i started off reblading some broken ones people would give me just learning learning that so how did we all right so how did we make that transition from a straight knife to the folder how how did uh how did that go did was it a was it another maker or just you just dove in i kind of dove in at that time and i was you know i my first folder I made from scratch was a lockback, which, you know, I was carrying a buck 110 at that time as a folding knife. And we carried that one all the way from college time. And in fact, going back to my, my college days, one of my friends in college, his dad had a set of stamps and I, I can see him he said, let me see your knife. And I pulled that buck 110 out and he laid it up on an anvil and stamped my initials into the brass bolsters on that. Oh, cool. And I said, well, that that's pretty cool. You know, I'm, you know, I'm looking at my initials in a knife here. I said, well, that, that might've ignited a little fire right there. That's, that's actually really neat. But I mean, the buck 110 is obviously right. That's the, it doesn't get much more American Foley knife than a buck 110. That's or just knives at all. Like that's the knife. So, you know, to get back on the making folders, I just jumped into it then and started making lock made a few lock backs, made a few slip joints. Then I discovered titanium and uh made a made a, some liner locks. 
first lighter lock I made had a aluminum frame in it and boy that I it made a knife but it wasn't very stout and it just uh, I said I got to do something different and started started buying some titanium and learning how to work that stuff burning up God knows how many drill bits and saw blades and everything till you learn to embrace carbide work with that titanium and got me hooked on that and that's what I like to work with now is titanium and one of the first blade shows I think I started going to blade around 2002 I think was my first blade show and I was in the back of the room talking to Chuck Bybee because I'd been buying a few supplies from him at Alpha Knife Supply and he was opening a box back there and he pulled out this knife out of his pocket and and he flipped this thing open with a flipper mechanism and I go well and then when the blade jumped out I couldn't believe how big the blade was in relation to the handle and I said let me see that thing and it was a Matt Diskin custom. Oh boy! And it was an automatic. No, it wasn't an automatic. It was just a straight flipper. But I was I was just amazed at how much blade came out of that handle, and how easy it was to open. And that was my first look at a flipper of any kind. So, started talking to Chuck about it, and he told me to go buy a junkyard dog and uh i think tim galleon designed that one and uh i ordered one and took it apart and saw what made it tick and that's pretty much what i've been making ever since then is is flippers because that's what got me uh really hooked on that style of knife so i take it you were probably using washers before then switched to bearings pretty quick yeah, I mean, I tried. I made I made a few flippers with uh, with washers, but I just could not get them to consistently work. And uh, so when when I discovered bearings, that changed everything. Smooth and easy, getting it done, rocking and rolling. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, washers a little trickier to get working because if if your tolerance are even out here, things start to bind up. You have to have precision ground titanium, precision ground steel. To get that to work right, bearings uh, or, it's a lot easier to get. Your name's nice Jerry McGinnis. Sure it is. Sure it is. Precision ground everything at that point. Mm-hmm. Jerry doesn't yeah. just slap shit together. And that's pretty much the way I started making folders was slapping shit together. <laughs> it was. I mean, I'm I'm a self-taught in almost every kind of machine work that you can imagine. I've never had any schooling at all in any of that i've learned by trial and error basically and most mostly error i learn a lot from making mistakes that's where all the learning is is all the errors that's perfect yep so because yeah you were you were talking about carbide uh drill bits so i mean we're talking about a manual mill then yeah yeah i just got a little bench top uh mill drill is what i started with when i'm Found a found a deal on one. There was a MSC in Miami that was closing up, and 
selling their stuff off cheap so i bought this mill drill and that that made life a lot easier when is it you started uh drilling holes in the frames because i know you like to do that a lot that's kind of your signature at this point yeah that i you know i think i didn't come up with that idea i know tom mayo had been doing it before me i think i saw some of his stuff but you do do it your own way though like you can definitely tell when it's a, a zinker design yeah, I, I just try to put more holes in it and yeah. I mean, take take a nice light material like titanium and make it even lighter. And I, I did that early on. I mean, there's probably more of my stuff out there with holes in it than without holes. I mean, I just did a custom for a guy who didn't want holes in it. And it almost hurt to, to do that 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 way. But because I think they look cool with the holes in them. And, they, they absolutely do. Nick actually has a story that involves one of your knives. He, he just went out and, and got one. I didn't just yeah. go out. I've had, like oh, six right, his, yeah. I've had like six of his customs in the past. Yeah, but there was one particular one recently. Oh, yeah. I picked up a, one of the Boker carbon fiber <laughs> urban trappers and completely redid it. Yeah. And one of those with the hand rub blade and the marble carbon fiber. I smoothed out the carbon fiber a little bit. Uh orange peel the handles and bronze them i carry it all the time but no i I've, I've had about six or seven of his customs when i used to collect knives i was a big fan of them for carry very light very thin i've been wanting to design something like that for oh, i've been making knives for nine years i've been wanting to design something like that for about eight of those uh never got around to it but i've always wanted to design something that's totally like slim and user oriented like carry uh at some point i'll get there but it's been something in the back of my mind forever just very minimalistic, thin, slim, and uh, super thin blade stock. The closest thing I did was my recent Imp, uh, which is 110 for the blade, 8th inch scales, uh, but that's only a 2 inch blade. So I was thinking about keeping oh. that same, keeping the same width of that knife uh, and then just bringing it out to 3 inches. And then using the same stock thicknesses on there. Yeah, that's a nice size. I mean, that that's a heavy knife for me with a eighth inch scales, and uh, I usually match up an eighth inch blade with eighth inch scales. If but that's that's on the big side for me. I my happy place is a three thirty second blade and three thirty second liners. But I am doing quite a few with sixteenth inch liners and sixteenth inch blades too. Super lightweight. Yeah. I tell people you can carry more than one that way. Yeah, you can carry two. <laughs> or three. Yeah, I mean, the, the first one I made uh, at that imp, I made it within there like one, uh, I think it was like point one tie. I liked it. The only problem was I couldn't hide the hardware as much. Yet you you, you, I couldn't hide the stop pin in there. And uh, I couldn't build it in the way I usually build my knives. But uh, I wanted to make it thinner for the future. Keep it slim, Nick. Keep it slim. <laughs> So drill, drilling holes in the handle and through the carbon and and the tie and and always, I mean holding to to a. I want to make a cycling reference, drillium, where they used to drill the cranks to lighten it. So I mean like an aesthetic, but also purposeful. So I mean to lighten to lighten the knife and to make it look cool. Same thing like on a uh, a racing watch band. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make yeah. it lightweight. But no, yeah. Hmm. Speed holes. Speed holes. Yes. Speed holes. There you go. See? There we go. 
I like um, it. So in the development of of the flipper um, and the holes, somehow, miraculously, you got so you you yeah. So we jumped into that, but so collaborations is that going too far ahead? Not really. No, okay. I mean, you know, I, I I started. I mean, collaborations are fairly recent for me as far as you know my designs for Boker and that started in 2013 when I got introduced to to the guys from Boker Mark and Karsten and Larry Brahms from Blade Art introduced me to them and at Blade Show in fact at the point where someone's introducing you to the Boker gentleman you must have had a pretty distinct recognizable style i mean you know just just because it has to be it has to be an aesthetic and a knife that's sort of uh somewhat established for 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 boker they're not just going to pick up um any old design right so you've been doing that for a while and it was a sort of a signature of yours it actually started with boker with with a what they call the pelican that's what got me introduced to them. I call it my mini Tanto money clip. It's just a little tiny, maybe inch and three quarter blade, uh, 16th inch thick, 16th inch frame with some holes in it and a clip and, you know, makes a nice little money clip, a little Tanto blade. But for some reason they had some issues in getting that blade ground correctly. And at the same show that I was introduced to them, they came to my table and Mark wound up buying one of my custom trappers at the time with the holes in it. And they decided to, to bring that one on and that's what turned into to the urban trapper. And that one actually came out before the Pelican did, which is what got me introduced to Boker. And apparently it's been doing pretty good because they've come out with many variations of it. Scales, no scales, uh, different sizes of it. We just had a, another one. Uh, I made a what I call a linear version, which is a straighter version, no curves to it. And that one just came out here a couple of months ago in their catalog. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's got some serious staying power. Yeah, it's a slim. It's bare bones essentially. That's why I got the I got the Urban Trapper. But I, what I really want through is the Mini Urban Trapper. It's just that one came up for sale on Arizona's website, so I bought that one and refinished it. Yeah, the Mini, what I call the Mini, they call it the Petite, is you know probably a fifteen percent scale down from the the original sized one. Yeah, it's about a three inch blade on that one. Mm-hmm. So rocking the. So we're looking at. Where are we? So we're looking at 2013, 2014, rocking out some initial Boker collaborations, which is, I mean, that's, I, I consider that exciting. Uh, I think that's, oh, yeah. uh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it took about a year for that first knife to come out after they said, okay, we're going to do it. You know, it's, it, things don't happen quick in that part of the industry. Right, right. Things don't happen quick in any part of this industry, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> takes a little while yeah blinking you will miss it knife industry has its own its own calendar and timeline it works on yeah (laughs) Yeah, we call that knife maker time 
Right, right. <laughs> so you so you met these the met these Boker guys at Blade Show through through Knife Art. So you you were already you must have been um Blade Art Blade Art. Blade, Blade Art. Art. Sorry, sorry, Blade Art. Okay. So you must have already you were you were using dealers at that point. Yeah, Arizona's my been with me since back in the uh, Orlando Guild days and uh, Julie bought a few knives from me there and Andrew's my go-to guy now he's he's the one I deal with most of the time him and Henry and they uh, they like my stuff and I like it that they like my stuff it works out sometimes like that it's a mutual yeah. Yep. oh yeah oh yeah and I do do quite a bit with uh Knife Center and Blade HQ too, and GP Knives. I've I've got a pretty good dealer network set up right now. Nice. So, um, so then you've basically at okay. So <laughs> where we are, where we are in 2013. So this whole time you were at what point were you full time? Is what I'm getting at. So I mean, are you are you full time this whole time? Or you, no, you were saying you no were, no you I were was, doing I, industrial. I was I was working full time. I was spare time knife making until two years ago, December. I I, I retired from that thirty two year full time job I had at in uh, two years ago, December and this coming December. And I guess I could say I've been full time since I retired and moved to Tallahassee. But the rest of us been. Sp- not part time, but spare time, like every spare minute, basically. Right. So you were smart and didn't quit your day job. I like it. That's, that's no, that's no. <laughs> Couldn't afford to. I right, mean. right. See, he did the smart thing, and I did the smarter thing. I never had a day job. I just made nuts. <laughs> most people do it in the opposite direction. Right. Is that like you know most people it's a, you know starts out maybe as a hobby and then goes to something more and then quit my job, be a knife maker. So Brad is laughing because he has health insurance and a 401k. (laughs) (laughs) Nick Nick is working full time and bleeding. I have health insurance. Bleeding. (laughs) And I'm working on the 401k part. I'm I'm envious of you young guys, though. I mean, I I wish I'd have started earlier. You know, there's no telling when I might have quit to go full time if I could have started earlier, but. Or had some kind of background from a, you know, working as a machinist or working for, you know, like Boeing or companies like that. Some of these guys come out and just blow you away with the stuff they make. Yeah. Well, now I've, I've this is a this is a good point for me to stubbornly bring this up once in a while. So I would consider you, um, a first generation knife maker. So knife making was not, it was, it was something you, like you had a job and then knife making, whereas like, and not, not at all in a negative way to anybody, but like, I would consider like, like Nick, for instance, would be a second generation knife maker. So he got into knife making because of knife making. Um, and I feel like the, the Boeing reference is interesting. Somebody like, you know, RJ Martin or, or or something like that like that's 
that's a real world job that eventually turned into knife making. Um, but I would definitely consider you first generation, somebody who kept a job and also did knife making before there was just like, I'll just, I'll just Google up how to make a knife. Like you didn't do that. Like that's, that's good indicative of first generation knife maker. That's probably because there was no such Google back right. then. Yeah, that that helps. Yep. Go like what what is Google? What's up, Nick? I know you're I know you're waiting. What's going well, no, on? No, I was thinking I was like I'd say there's about like four generations and I consider myself a third gen. Cause uh second gen will be the guys after that switchblade crash and when a tactical knife market kind of started and uh He's definitely still first gen because he, like he said, he was starting in the eighties. But then I started when forums were still a thing, and there wasn't really much info out online. You just had to become friends with a knife maker. Hopefully, they shared some of the secrets slash the two hundred scrap blades I had in my in my basement before I even finished one. This is a before this is all Instagram. terms of yeah, modern like, knife makers. That yeah. I consider third gen. Like now, fourth is like okay, fair. Now it's well, like Instagram and like. Instagram knife makers. Yeah. There's knife tons makers. of YouTube videos to follow and all yeah. sorts of things out there. All right, so who? Yeah, second gen. Maybe who's second gen then? Second gen are the guys. Second gen is predates me. That's like once the tackle knife markets like the 2000s. So like, like it was knives? just. No, that's that's my generation. Unfortunately, oh, I'm sorry about uh, that. <laughs> before like uh, I say like I say like just forums and shows and. There wasn't much. It was still tight knit community. It wasn't very public. Uh, it was mainly still magazines. It was just transitioning to forums. I was like right before I started, uh, but there wasn't much info out there either. When I started, there was almost no info online. There was a little bit in the forums if you caught it, but even then, you had to really privately message somebody and hopefully they'd answer your question. Uh, but they're pretty good with their knowledge nowadays. You follow a life maker. For like three weeks on Instagram, if he posts enough, you'll figure out how to make a knife because the progress is always out there. It's got to message somebody on Instagram. Some drunken sailor in Texas will probably answer you, most likely. Yep. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, man. That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> I'll tell you why your stop, your stop pin placement is all wrong. So now, Brad, you're 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 good friends with Les over all this time. Uh, where are all the switchblades, man? Uh... I've been asked to make some. I just haven't. If if I'm going to make one, I want it to be double action. All right. And I I just haven't. I'm having too much fun making the stuff I'm making to devote any time to that right now. I know you're you're a switchblade guy, and there's a lot of them out there. And uh, but I'm I'm just enjoying what I'm doing right now, and still learning to perfect what I've, the way I'm making them. Oh man. All right. That's an, you know, I don't, that's a mighty humble statement on your part to be making knives this long and still, uh, still recognize the, the search for perfection. Well, I, I learned something with every knife I make. I mean, I haven't, if I ever make a perfect one, I'd have to quit. Oh, don't do it, man. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> be like, Brad made a perfect knife. What happened? Like he retired. It's over. It's, there's no more. There's no more knives, man. No, I, I find flaws in everything I make, and you know, even 
I, I bought a little CNC mill about six, seven years ago and, and just started. I'm a 2D guy there. All I'm doing is cutting profile out on there, cutting cutting blades and frames out. And, I mean, I can have a half a dozen of them on my bench, and every one's got a personality when you go to put them together. Hey, I'm using the 3D. I'm using doing full 3D and fixtures, and I got albums damn near finished knives in my CNC, and they still all require unique tuning, and they all, good way to say it, personality. I mean, you really got to admire the factories, the way they're they're coming along now, putting these out between Boker and we and everybody else that's doing stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's amazing they can make what they make at the price point they sell it at. Yeah, I can't figure that one out. Titanium is a fickle mistress. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's just about who you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's like a stash of it somewhere we're not being told about. I, I, yeah, I'm just going to, okay. <laughs> yeah, me, me and Jeremiah are both like, wait, what? Titanium is <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> well, somebody's getting good prices. I think it's... That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Some titanium warping and not ever wanting to do what you wanted to do. I was taught by machinist oh, one day. The, ma the magic of it. Look at everything. Look, look at everything as if it's rubber. Everything flexes. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, I Boy, mean that's you, true. You, you talking about titanium warping? I, I bought a laser about three or four months ago, and I'm learning to play with it now. So I'm, I wanted to laser the inside, something to kind of mimic jeweling on the inside of some of my liner locks. Well. You put too much power to it, <laughs> forty thousand thick or fifty thousand thick tie. It's going to warp on you. So, a lot of so uh, yep. one 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 way I figured out how to solve that is go ahead and flip it over and laser the other side, and that brought it right back to square again. Uh, same thing when you so, sandblast those thin frames. Oh, you sandblast just one side, they warp, and then you got to sandblast the other side. That's right. Yeah, I've had them curl into a C before with too much pressure in my bead blast cabinet. Yeah, that was the, that was a hard one I had to learn a long time ago making my first liner lock. I, I wanted to sandblast just one side so the insides look clean and I didn't sandblast the, the part that touches the liner. I screwed that thing together and I could put a goddamn toothpick through one side. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So definitely don't look right. That's for holding toothpicks, man. Yeah, you sandblast the other <laughs> side, and it's like, oh, okay, let's fight again. Uh, what a sorcery is this? And that's a call every knife maker I knew, and they're all like, yeah, it's just like that sometimes. And I'm like, oh, that's a great answer, I guess. It's just like, it's just broken, man. Let's just say yeah, it. Just, just be like that. Um, Nick, Nick, have you ever uh, gotten a good deal on titanium and found out it was CP instead of uh, 6AL4V and wouldn't wouldn't make a spring? Uh, no, I've always just used the same guy, and I buy it by the sheet. So I've never, I've never done that mistake. I know if someone well, bought a lot of bar stock to make something with it, not realizing the bar stock was CP. Well, I learned that the hard way. So yeah, I know, C, I know CP is great too. It's it's pure. It's too pure. It, it, it doesn't have spring retention to it. I did have. A bash that was sent to me mislabeled, but they they changed the sheet out for me. Before uh, was, they caught it, caught it before it was an issue. 
uh, I was just carrying it to the water jetter and I set it down and I was messing with it and I started out with there's a bow to it and I touched it and I straightened out the bow and I was like, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and uh, so I just started pushing on it and it just kept bending the copper almost. It was ridiculously soft. I was like, no, nah, this is definitely not the right stuff. That's not uh-huh. right. So, Brad, we we ran into you at uh, the most current, which would be last year's Las Vegas Custom or Las Vegas Classic, and um, and you had a nice you had a nice spread of uh, of knives, different models and different dress, um, and I, and I wanted to go, I wanted to go over that. So I I know that the Urban Trapper is sort of that's a very that is a very popular model but so this whole time you're you're a part-time knife maker and you're still making customs even though the boker collaboration has taken off um tell us a little bit about your the different models that you that you build um in custom form i like warnies too so i make a lot of different kinds of warnies and uh different links different thicknesses just i do a lot of modifications I've, i'll get a knife i like and then i'll stretch it out a little bit or i'll shorten it up or i'll make it a little taller a little wider and just keep doing that until i get a get a happy spot there um i deal with a lot of hunters so i, I need to have some skinning type folders and that's where the fr series with boker came out and, uh, you know, just a pretty much a straight drop point. That's, that was really my version of a, like a loveless drop point skinner. I turned into a folder years ago. So that, that was what I was going for. It didn't turn out that way exactly, but that was the aim at the time. It's a, an undeniable influence on everything. Loveless, just, man, that's just it. It's somehow somehow his his designs just touched everybody differently, and uh, it's got staying power. Oh um, yeah, you yeah you do you do a compound ground warning, which looks looks I think looks pretty far out. Um, I'm spacing out the the model at the moment, uh, but I like the way that one looks. It's uh it's it's something else. Seeing a compound ground like that is is nice. I dig it. I started compound grinding those because if you don't, the point gets so fine, it scares me. I mean, you drop that thing on the bench and you're liable to break the tip off on it. And it just kind of beefs the tip up a little. Plus, I think it looks cool too, especially when you look down the back of the blade. You know, it's got some got some curves there, got some something going on. It, it looks like the whole blade is kind of flexing, like... Uh... Like it's like in the mirror and it's like, it's like flexing a bicep. Like the whole front is just, (laughs) it's just kind of like, it's all slim and slicey where it needs to be. And then the back is like this, just this big beefy. I mean, for, for your, for your blade thickness, it's, it's big and beefy. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I always like it whenever, whenever I see it or see pictures of it and you're looking down the barrel, it's like, Oh man, like that blade's got some business going on. I kind of, I dig it. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's put a spring in that and make it an auto. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode he sneaks in. Hey, uh, what you yeah. do is great, but like, uh, just, you know, spring in there. Uh, just, Come on, guy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so ¿Por qué? Maybe. No, but it, it is it is far out. So that that whole time, I, that I mean, I don't. You're living two lives. You like the you were part time for for so long. Like that's crazy. Congratulations. <laughs> spare time. Spare, spare time. time. Right. Spare time. Just every every spare minute devoting it, uh, devoting it to knife making. And and a huge amount of models, which which kind of brings us sort of full circle to your your pursuit of perfection, right? So I I see a lot of work from you. And like you were saying, you're stretching, you're thinning. I mean, it's like I appreciate that you have an aesthetic, practical theme that you're constantly playing of, and you're not afraid to just sort of just do something else, you know, and and make it more what you want it to. So a lot of makers sort of have this box that they work inside of, and they're like, "This is what I do. These are the knives that I make." But a lot of what we see, like like when we saw you in Las Vegas, your whole table is just like. Whatever the knife it is that you need, I have the solution for you. Like size, like width, whatever. Um, you, you know, which which I feel like is a nod to like a classic sort of knife making era, where it's like, you know, custom orders of like what whatever the the job is, I have the proper knife for. Um, and, and that being said, do you so did this whole time were you taking custom orders, or you're not really a custom order kind of guy? Uh, I'll take custom orders if it's something I want to make. I'm much happier making what I want to make and then offering it for sale. I, I think I do a better job on the knife if I make it for me. You know, if, if you order a knife from me, you've got a preconceived notion of what it's going to turn out to be. And I may not be thinking the same way you are. And then you're going to be disappointed. And if you're disappointed, I'm disappointed. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm a lot happier just making making what I want to make and laying them out there and let people pick them up and handle them and say, yeah, this is what I want. When you see a finished knife with no prior expectations, you can't be disappointed. So yeah, there you go, yeah. there you go. That is absolutely the most concise answer to that question yet ever. It's like bam, it's on the table. Yeah. Like there we go. Like, I want this. <laughs> hmm. Blade steels. You started somewhere. You started with D two. Where, where did you go from there? Do you have a favorite now that you work with? Uh, my favorite now is uh, CPM one fifty four, CM the good stuff, and uh, it's just you know I haven't found anything better. I've tried most all the new steels out there, and haven't found anything I like better. Uh, for years before this came along, I used ATS 34 because that was what I could get in the thin sheets that I needed. And, uh, but then, you know, I'm, I'm glad that CPM is made here in the, in the U.S. You know, ATS was Japanese, which I had no problem with, but I like to, you know, buy American where I can. Not, not unreasonable at all to, you know, keep the industry powered by the labor dollars that we all spend on it <laughs> um yeah so how did you how did you get in in contact with the gathering that's I'm, I'm interested in that well larry who's the one that introduced me to boker he's the one that kind of heads up the gathering too and he was based in miami and he 
used to come to the guild shows in Orlando is where I met him and he would he bought a few knives from me and uh, when he's only one of the only regrets I have as far as shows go is I missed the very first gathering and I just I don't know why but I didn't go to it but I went to the second one and I haven't missed one since Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And I told Larry, I, wherever he has it, I'll, I'll go there. So, so I mean, that's probably the, the most fun show I do. I mean, just, just the way it's laid out, so different than any other show. You know, it is the four-pointed tables and the environment i mean obviously I'm, I'm a little biased i haven't been to as many gatherings as you have but the uh, gatherings i've been to have been quite eventful um mm-hmm. it's definitely uh las vegas has a as a feel to it and and, and where it, where the gathering is in planet hollywood there it really uh it's fun and i think that the people and now granted like i said i haven't been to that as many as you have but uh the people that go to that show i think everybody's on the same page and I think that obviously we've talked about this. People that go to Blade Show are not like there's so many different pages from different books, but the guys who go to the gathering are all, we're all there for one thing and that's to have fun, but to also talk about knives and buy knives, but definitely like the show experience with the gathering is, is so great because it's such a, it's such a social event as well. Yes, exactly. It's like a graduation uh, beyond Blade Show. It's like the next level. Yeah, like yeah, like if you go to Blade Show and you think that's cool and you're really into it, like you should check. Hey, bro, like hey, bro, you should check out the gathering. Like, you know, like the gathering is, you know, it's it's great. The four pointed table thing and the way it's set up is is always I'm always a fan of that, um, and the and the very social nature to the thing, um, so you were at the second gathering ever. Um, be honest. How was your sh- How was your show etiquette by by your second show? What do you mean by etiquette? How I acted, or uh... <laughs> how everybody acted? <laughs> uh, you know, it It was so different than any other show I'd done up to that point. And you know, I started going to Blade like in two thousand two. I think I missed one year, but I've been there for other ones since then, and. Blade is Blade. I mean, it's a really a must-go-to show for me because for at least you got to buy supplies there, you know. That's the best place to lay your hand on stuff. But as far as the, uh, the atmosphere of the gathering, it was so much fun and so different and met some new guys. I mean, there's some guys that only do like the gathering and maybe one other show. Just like there's guys that only do the Blade Show every year. So that's a big part of the show experience for me is going and meeting other knife makers and, you know, getting new friends that way. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, we obviously, you, you know, we agree with you. Going going to knife shows is, lately it's it's the knives are number two to, to the socializing. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's one and two are very close, but... Uh, I think once the community sort of envelops itself, it's definitely, it's a, it's a great social experience to hang out with, with other people who are like-minded. For sure. I mean, that, that's, that's the 
the most fun I have is going and, you know, going out to dinner with other knife makers and trading tips and learning things from each other and just made a bunch of good friends doing this. Yeah, we'll have shows again one day. <laughs> June. Yeah, June. June. I'm hoping. Twenty twenty four. Nah, it'll. It. I think uh, twenty twenty one blade show will be a thing to, to tell your kids about. Well, okay, for those of us who don't have kids and are going to have them, or maybe not, it'll be that'll be the thing that we tell, tell them your about. pets about. Tell your pets about. Tell your hamster, the goldfish, whatever. Um. Yeah. So. So Brad, I, uh, I don't want yeah, I don't want to rub it into you guys here, <laughs> but uh, I did I did go to California two weeks ago for that California Custom Show. I was really okay. How was that? Yeah, it was nothing it, it was small. Things. It was only about forty tables. There Outside, were uh, right. yeah, there were like five of us there from Florida, which kind of tells you you know we're needing needing to have a show somewhere. I mean. Had a good experience. It was kind of cool. They had it outside in the parking lot under tents, and uh, luckily it had cooled off because apparently it had been 100-plus degrees there for who knows how many days in a row until the weekend of the show. But it, it wound up being being a worthwhile trip, and I'll go back to that one again. So that was right. So that was your first, uh, that was your first Cali custom show. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Dan had been trying to get me to go there for years, but it always conflicted with other shows I had. It was usually so close to when the the Knife Makers Guild show was, and I don't want to miss that one. So, so, but now See, that was the know. first. That was the first one that we'd missed in two years, three years. I give us a pass for missing it. Yeah, I mean it was kind of. I don't know. It was. Been well, I had five shows lined up to do this year, and it started off with the Las Vegas show in January there, the right after shot, yeah. and we made that one, yep. and then then the world I, went I, to hell. I and, regret not going last second, because yeah, that, that was the last time. Yeah, Nick, I, you didn't go to that one. If I knew you? that was the last opportunity yeah. this year. Well, I had COVID that whole month, unknowingly well. at the time. I got it after probably uh, from maybe I don't know if yeah, I did actually, or not. That, yeah, it's the last I, time we we were all. I was all in bed twenty five days in January. Holy cow! Yeah, I had a one hundred three fever for about two weeks and then full body fatigue for another two. Well, yeah, we probably caught it at shot show or something. Yeah, I was like, maybe. I, and then I felt good for like two days. I was like, I'm gonna fly down last second, but I was like, I haven't worked in like four weeks. I really need to go make some money. And I was like, ah, if I go to Vegas, I'm just gonna spend money. Like, it's not a good, not a good time. Well, it was a I good feel. show. Yeah, yeah it was. that was a lot yeah. of fun. Um, but I didn't realize at the time it would be the last yeah. one, pretty much. <laughs> no. <laughs> Until, well, TKI, and then that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. In February. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, so Brad, so right, so you went to the, you went to Cali Custom. Uh, it was outside, and um, from the social media enthusiasm, it looked like it was, it looked like it was fun. It looked like it was different. I don't know. I can't. It's such a weird thing, but it's it sounds like it was. So was it a good show for you? 
Yeah, it was it was a good show. Uh, I'm glad I went. Uh, it was good to get around knife people again. Right. You know, it's been a long time since January, so we're all a bunch of strangers at this point. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Got to get reintroduced. Show. Yeah. Like, hey, who are you? Oh. Excuse me, who are you? <laughs> like, yeah, like right. And I mean, out, I don't know. Outside's kind of nice. I love being outside. It's my next favorite thing to being inside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, yeah, I kind of dig it. It looked a little flea market-ish, but hey, whatever. Whatever works. I mean, whatever allows the show to go on um, is kind of what counts at this point. Um, it, it was kind of, it was my first trip to that part of California. And it was kind of strange because, I mean, we're in these huge big fancy hotels there and half of them are closed down because i think everything in that area is there because of disneyland and Mm -hmm. disneyland being closed i mean we went to an outback steakhouse there the first night and you walk in and there's you know maybe maybe 10 10 tables with people sitting there they tell you it's a 40 minute wait and you go huh you're like what? You know? <laughs> so well, you know, it's I don't, like don't want to wait. We only have one cook back there, and we only have one that, waiter. <laughs> and and that's kind of kind of what it was explained to me. They're just getting open back up again. So I mean, the whole area was really nice, but but kind of vacant at the at the time. I mean, it's trying to come back. Well, it's a slow but sure process. You know, that's yep. the thing. Yep. Well, okay, so let's. So you you did just do uh, a new model for the Boker catalog. Tell us tell us about that. Tell us about the development of that. Let's let's do a little bit of a. Actually, it was a model I carried and showed to Boker at Shot this year, and it was you know I'd only made a couple of them. I made a front flipper and a and a regular flipper version of it, and carried them there and showed showed the guys at Boker at Shot and they liked it enough and they kind of rushed that one. That one came out in about six months, which is a, a record, I believe. That's as quick as I've ever had one come out before. So, and we're working on some other stuff for them too. I've got some, some other things in the, and irons in the fire right now, doing some more designs and you did do a like one or two with Wii, right? I know you did one that came out not too long ago. Yeah, and, and we've got a couple more coming out. The the there's a shorter version of the Miscreant coming out, a three inch bladed version, and also a uh, got one of the Savivi line that they uh, they picked up a, a small little liner lock I had on my table at uh, the Las Vegas show, and said they wanted to do that one so i've already got the uh the prototypes on that i'm just waiting on them to tell me when they're going to release them so i mean their prototypes turned out really nice that'll no no doubt be a winner right there yeah that so that's a vv line man that's like that's coming in hard like it is it's really uh at the price point and the quality um probably just waiting on that walmart uh contract to be honest about now <laughs> man it's a tough one anytime now no anytime i don't now. know it's out of my hands uh that's so that's actually that's pretty great so civivi um and what sorry what was the name of the civivi one 
Uh, I call it a bow model because it's named after a friend of mine, Bo Lofton, because I made the very first one for him, and uh, I just named it that. And when when we reached out to me a few weeks ago, said we're ready to you know start advertising this thing. What what are we going to call this model? And I told them that's what I called it. And if they wanted to come up with a better name, I don't have any anything against that. But uh, they. They came back to me the next day. Oh, no, we're going to call it the bow. So, okay, that's that's good. There we go. Nice. I always love I mean, that naming, like... naming knives is, is not my strong point. You know, I, I, I admire everybody that comes up with all these names, but I just... That's uh, always an exciting, exciting time when they're like, what, we're ready, like, what, what do we call this? Like, and they're like, oh, it's, it's about to... Well, I already know usually, but it's it's just you know that things are about to you know get released so you, when you're asked you, like, oh, what's this going to be called? Do you do you have a name as you're designing them, Elijah? Or that... sometimes, sometimes I'll I'll have the name first, and then I'll design the, the knife around it. And sometimes I'll have to think about it for like years. And, and you know, it, it's always different. But yeah. Well, I just I just had something happen this last week. I made a new new two-bladed knife i haven't done any two-bladed ones in quite a while and this one's an opposite end uh i call it an oet opposite end trapper you know with a regular clip point on one end and the long spay blade on the other and the way the shape came out on the spay blade when i saw it i saw a friend of mine that died a couple of years ago a knife maker named john bartlow from uh out west and he he made all these skinning knives and i saw that blade and i said that that's something john bartlow would make so that's going to be my bartlow skinner so i'm i'm already cutting out a couple of those now yeah that's cool so sometimes you know you have to pay your homage to something or someone names are weird it's like it kind of defines the knife to me i don't know yeah yeah an homage name is definitely um it's it's heavy set and it it can mean a lot and also right give give the knife a particular feel for sure i mean i, I don't elijah a couple of years yeah i mean it can change in a couple of years too i don't know well you can't change the name of the knife after it's come out well no you know the design will you know it has to like mature and gestate for a while before I name it and then or flow flow off. into something else and give it a different name yeah mm. you never know sometimes naming is the hardest part of the whole process fair enough all right so Brad we've got we've got new bokers we've got wheeze and we've got new civivis so you're actually kind of killing it this year it sounds like it, it sounds like you're rolling in pretty hard there's no complaints from this end, no. Nice. Okay. I'm digging it, man. I'm really digging it. Um and now you're full time. So you're you're making you're, and you're you're making customs. You're making two bladed trappers. That's pretty that's pretty neat. Uh we don't see a whole lot of two bladed modern and I'm gonna say tactical folders, uh, these days at all. Not re- not that I can think of anyway. Um so that's pretty awesome. No, I can't. Th- I can't think of. I can't think of any. So I gotta say, I'm. I'm looking forward to the. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one for sure. I think that's gonna be pretty cool. 
they're they're works in progress. I mean, I gotta gotta refine them some, but I'm you know it's it, it's kind of like making two knives in one. So I I don't know. I like making single bladed ones still. That that's my bread and butter right there. So I'll have to I'll have to yell at Les this week and try to get him to get over to that shop and put some springs in your knives. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we're farther apart now than we were when we both lived in South Florida. You know, he ah. moved to the West Coast and I moved up here and everything. I mean, I, I wish we were closer because I'd, I'd love to to get together with him and because he, he does some cool stuff in his shop. Yeah, yeah. Florida knife makers, man. I'm loving it. Um, very cool. Uh, so, Brad, where's... Uh, Where's the best place to to keep track of you? Where where what kind of social media you're doing? What kind of if people want to watch your work or, or what's coming out? What's what's the best way to do that? Uh, Instagram Brad Zinker Knives on Instagram is probably the best, and I've been neglecting it lately. My daughter was running that for me, but she's got a full time job now, and uh, so. I need to get more active into that where they can email me at bzinker at gmail.com. Nice. Very cool, man. Um, I'm loving it. Well, I'm looking forward to the new releases. I'm looking forward to our 2021 show schedule, which is yet to be seen, but I'm hoping that uh, it's going to be positive and we can all, we can all meet up at the next show and, uh, and, and break some bread together. I think, I think that'll be, I think that'll be a lot of fun. It will be as long as we can recognize each other wearing masks. Oh man, I'm telling you, half of us are gonna have a lot longer beards by then. That's gonna be a, <laughs> that's gonna be a whole new thing, man. Um, I, I'm sure I'm sure we'll be able to point each other out in a crowd for for sure. I uh, I want to absolutely thank you so much tonight for for taking some time and and coming on with us and and talking knives, man. It's it's been a real pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take charge and, and start signing off. This is uh this is Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. I wanna thank everybody for listening to another episode of the Bladeology podcast. And this is Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives signing off. Elijah Isham of Isham Blade Works. Good night, everybody. Brad Zinker, thanks for having me.